Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. This week, I am your audio guide on a journey through an album that is one of my favorite soundtracks, and I really am excited to share this with you guys. It's a very popular movie, won all kinds of awards and stuff, starring Al Pacino and Russell Crowe. We are talking about The Insider, the story of Jeffrey Wigand and the scandal as he was a insider and insider into the tobacco industry and he told some things about what was going on behind closed doors and he wasn't supposed to and some people got angry this is a true story and al pacino plays the role of lil bergman who was working with 60 minutes and he and russell or (laughs) he and russell he and jeffrey connected And uh, he wanted him to be on 60 Minutes. And of course, there was problems with his corporate silence agreement. As uh, you know, a lot of us in the industry, we get used to signing NDAs. And, you know, you have to be really careful. You really can't break those things. And there are ways around some things, but not all. But it's best if you're going to agree to do it. And especially not just for the possibility of being sued or or anything. It's also your reputation. It's people ever trusting you again. There are a lot of factors that come along with signing any kind of silence agreement. And you have to be really careful. I've signed plenty of them in my life. And I've always been very careful to honor them. But I've also never had secrets that would, you know, potentially save lives if people knew what I knew. You know, I'm privy to some things, but I'm certainly not privy to anything of that stature, you know, that importance. Um, So I I honestly don't know what I would do in a situation like that. It would be a really difficult thing. And on top of that, you know, they were threatening him, never proven, but certainly with the actions that were happening in his life, very believable that people in, in the tobacco industry that were very much in a position of power would have the ability to do that. And the reason, you know, the means and the reason to do it. So uh, you, they were never found guilty. So I don't want to accuse somebody of doing something that hasn't been proven. But I would say it would be very believable if people in that position took aggressive action against somebody who was willing to expose their secrets. There, I said it. So uh, here's the thing. So my history with this movie, and this is one of those movies that I I talk about Uh, That one day in January or February that I used to take off, it would always be like a really cloudy day. And I would just sit there and I would have, uh, you know, fresh ground coffee and some nice pastries and just spend the day watching a certain list of movies. And this is before I started going to the NAMM show and then my day off became the day before the NAMM show. Uh, But what I would do is I would watch this list of movies and The Insider is one of them. Actually, there's two because Gladiator uh, is the other movie with Russell Crowe. So there's two Russell Crowe movies in that list. There's also two Al Pacino movies because um, uh, Devil's Advocate is on that list. And it all centers around a certain time in my life and some nostalgia and these movies that I grouped together and they all have great soundtracks. So this is one of them. And I love the soundtrack to this movie. I first saw the trailer, if I'm not mistaken, when I went to see the Blair Witch. I want to say that's when I saw the trailer for The Insider. But something didn't click when I saw the movie, because I swear in the trailer, I saw a house exploding. And I remember saying to my brother, I wish they wouldn't show stuff like that, because they're giving away probably the end of the movie or somewhere near the end of the movie. So you know 
you get a visual of the house, you can picture it in your head, and then you see it blow up. So you're waiting somewhere in your mind to see this house in the movie. You know this is the house that's going to blow up. You assume it's probably going to be the main character's home. So, you know, you you are waiting for that. But for some reason, I don't know why. Maybe it was a different trailer that had the house blow up because there was no house that blew up in this movie. Now, they could have thrown footage in there to throw people off to make it sound more interesting. I don't know, but I don't, I I do recall a house exploding, but there was not a house exploding in the movie. And I can't explain any more than that. But I remember thinking, well, first of all, if Al Pacino's in it, I'm going to want to see the movie. Flat out going to want to see it. I had no idea who Russell Crowe was at the time. Um, I thought he was much older than he was in real life because he was playing an older man in the movie. But I thought the movie looked interesting on top of the fact that Al was in it. I mean, if Al Pacino does a movie, chances are it's going to be good, or at least you're going to love his performance in the movie, even if you don't like the movie itself. So uh, I waited very anxiously for The Insider to come out, and I went and saw it at the theater, enjoyed it very much, got it when it came out, and um, just got the soundtrack right away and, and just loved it. There's some songs on here that I've listened to countless times. And one in particular, which, of course, we're going to get to. So we've got a lot of songs to cover. There are 16 on the album. This was released in October of 2000 or of uh, 1999, excuse me. And uh, it was mainly done by Peter Bork and Lisa Gerard. And we've talked about Lisa Gerard doing the Gladiator soundtrack. There are no real lyrics that I'm aware of on this album that she wrote. Everything is just vocalizing and gibberish. But it's not about the vocals being used as a storyteller. It's about the vocals being used as an instrument. And that's what we get from Lisa. And she does it in such an amazing way, uh, just like she did on Gladiator. So there are some other writers that we'll get to as we get to each song. I was really hoping in my research that there was uh, an extended edition or some kind of bonus of music from the film. And unfortunately, there is not. We get what we get. And uh, the links are in the show notes where you can get it on Amazon and iTunes. Of course, you know, you can always check Discogs and eBay and and any other uh, place where you can find used music. But uh, they're out there. I mean, it's not hard to find at all. So if you love this soundtrack, I highly encourage you to purchase it wherever you're happy purchasing music. Hopefully new so that, you know, the artists can get their money. But whatever you choose to do, it's most important that you enjoy the music. So let's get right into it. The first song is called Tempest, and this is indeed written by Lisa Gerard and Peter Bork. Now, I did actually know somebody who was working on a project with Peter Bork, and I was really excited about it, but we lost contact, and I'll tell you why in one simple word, MySpace. Anyway, here is Tempest. Now, in general, the soundtrack is not very ethnic. This particular piece happens to be because it opens the film. They're trying to set up how important Mike Wallace and Lowell Bergman are by showing you an interview that they're setting up in a foreign country with a, a you know, a, a very powerful leader and uh, how all that goes. 
So it's uh, really just fits the scene more so than the film itself. It's part of the soundtrack and it's a great piece of music. I love the action on the percussion. I love the voicing on it. Very nice, very beautifully done, really sets the tone for the scene that they're showing, but really doesn't have much to do with the actual film or the soundtrack. This is just kind of setting up that here's who our characters are kind of thing. Now, uh, the next piece on here is called Dance of the Truth. And again, this one is also written by Lisa and Peter. Now, I can't remember exactly where this fits into the film, if this is still with uh, Lowell or not, um, because it does feel a little bit more ethnic. But this also could be the background for when we meet Jeffrey Wigand, who's uh, basically starting the film by getting fired from Brown and Williamson, which is the tobacco company he was working for. And uh, it's a lovely piece of music. It's very patient. I love the sound of the ethnic percussion. It has an attack to it. You know, you can you can hear the strike of the drum, but not so much where it's really distracting from the piece of music. And I just love the the sound of the the they, they sound like strings, but I'm not sure exactly what they are. But it just has such a great contrast and a great feel to it. Um, it's a very patient piece, which is so important in film music, as I mentioned before. Um, you know, film music is in general not about, hey, check out this cool music that's in this film, unless that's specific to draw attention to what's going on musically. Uh, normally, it's just there to enhance the emotion of the film. And that's something I always have to keep in mind when people ask me, you know, what are your favorite soundtracks? Oh, I can't believe you didn't include this one. Well, that might be a great movie, but that soundtrack didn't strike me so much. You know, there are certain people who write well that fit in between who can make interesting music for an entire soundtrack and also not distract from the movie. And uh, this is one of those for me where I think the music was really used a little bit more as a character than most other films, but I think it worked very, very beautifully. So the next song that we have up is called Sacrifice, and this is one of my favorites.
another one written by Lisa Gerard and Peter Bork. And this, to me, is such a beautiful performance by both of them, really. I mean, the strings are just so emotional. They know when to swell. They know when to back off. Lisa's performance in writing on this is absolute perfection. And this is where she really shines. I think over everything else I've heard her do, this is it right here. This kind of thing where her voice is such an amazing instrument. And if she's saying words, like if they actually wrote lyrics for this, I think it would have really taken away from the song. I think using the instrument as uh, in the way of a vocal is just brilliant here. You know, if they had used a violin, the emotion could have been really good, but then you have a violin on top of a string section. And yeah, it can work, but we've heard it before. This is just such a stunning piece and one I've listened to, I don't know how many times. And this whole album for me has, you know, that autumn feel to it, that that little bit of coolness in the air. And I don't know if that's because this came out in the fall that I have that associative memory. Perhaps I didn't look at the the movie release date, but I know I did see it in the theater and, and really liked it very much. So uh, in any case, yeah, this song is one of my favorites. And one, this is one I would suggest just put on the headphones or the earbuds or however you listen, kind of isolate yourself from the world for about seven minutes and just put this on and let everything go and really just immerse yourself in the music. It's such a beautiful piece of music. And uh, as much as I'd love to go over every moment of the whole thing, we have to move on. And the next song is called The Subordinate, also, again, written by Lisa and Peter. This is a combination of like a uh, domestic ethnic song mixed with synthesizers and electronics to kind of modernize the sound. So it it really, when I say that the soundtrack isn't ethnic, it has ethnic percussion in it, but not the, the overall feel of the soundtrack I don't feel is ethnic. Actually, I'm surprised there's as much of this. I don't remember that there was that much in it. But in any case, uh, this is a great song. It's got a real intensity to it. You know, it's it's got that that element of fear and nervousness and maybe anxiety, as well as that push, like, you need to move. You need to go right now because they are on their way to get you. It just has that feel to it. And I think it's a very well-written piece of music. I think the tempo is absolutely stunning on it. I love the feel of the percussion with the synth along with it. And then just that voice coming in out of nowhere. Uh, it's a great piece of music and it really fits the, the film well. Listening to the soundtrack as a, you know, as a cohesive score, it's really kind of all over the place to an extent. Um, you know, we've got a great variety of sounds in it between synthesizers and ethnic and classical instruments, um, some vocalizing. It really is kind of in a lot of directions, but it fits the movie just perfectly. And the movie has a lot of different elements to it as well. So I think that they wrote a great soundtrack as a standalone, but I also think they wrote a great soundtrack for the film itself. 
And, um, you know, the subordinate is just another uh, great example of the variety that they created for the film that just creates that that perfect mood and intensity that it leaves you wanting to get out of your chair. Like you need to be somewhere else right now, even though you're just watching the film and you're perfectly safe as far as you know. So the next uh, the next piece on the album is called Exile and also written by Lisa and Peter. They wrote basically the first half of the album, but uh, there's a lot of good stuff in it for sure. So here is Exile. This is a wonderful, dark piece. I can't remember exactly uh, where it plays in the film. Uh, it's a little more subtle and I think is is kind of downplayed volume-wise. It's just uh, just enough to give emotion, but I can't remember exactly what was going on when it was played. But this is just a, another piece that creates a certain element of tension, of uncomfortability, of just not feeling like you should be where you are. And I think it's pretty amazing. It's got just these beautifully blended tones and there's so much going on in here. You've got that, you know, that bell toll. You've got uh, some uh, very gently plucked guitar in there. Um, you know, obviously the uh, the background tones, the strings, the ambience of it all. Just a very beautifully written piece and fits so well on the soundtrack. And that, if I'm not mistaken, I think the subordinate might have... Um, blended into it. I can't remember because I'm listening to individual tracks right now. So uh, that could be why Exile started so abruptly, because usually there's like a, sl a slight lead in or something. Uh, but they also may have intentionally done that as a kind of like a, whoa, boom, here you go kind of thing, you know. Um, but that leads us to a song called The Silencer. This is another one I don't remember specifically in the film, but that's kind of the point in general, right? Um, like I said, the music of a film is made to enhance the emotion, not necessarily to be a standout piece, unless it's something specific. Like, let's say the, you know, you hear that, da, da, 
in Jaws, you know it's meant to trigger the, oh my God, the shark is in the area kind of thing. So it's used as a cue. But for most film music, it's meant to be background. It's meant to be just mood enhancing. And so I think that's why some of these pieces I don't pick out as well, because they really are just blended into the background for feel more so than to catch my attention. And uh, But it's really nice. It's got a nice blend of sounds to it, um, very much like Exile, uh, just has a, a really beautiful tone and completion to it. It's, it's really fantastic. And that moves us to Broken, because things are not getting any better for Jeffrey Wygant. This one tends to pop out a bit more in my memory because of the piano. You know, you hear that strike, it's going to draw your attention to it. That's why when I do put piano in mental sauna, I really roll off that attack so that you don't uh, come out of your your relaxed state or your meditation or whatever you're doing. Uh, but for film music, it can be used as a tool to you know, kind of divide your attention between what's going on on the screen and what's going on musically. And this is a a great piece, just uh, really, you do, you definitely do feel broken when you listen to it. It's, uh, it's, it's like the hands on the clock are kind of cracked and can't really tell time, you know, uh, just a, a powerful, powerful piece, while gentle, but it's got such rich emotion in it that you know, and especially when you watch this movie, there's so many moments like that where this piece could fit in um, because Jeffrey just, you know, he's at his wits end through a good chunk of it. And you got to feel for the guy, you know, and knowing especially that this isn't just a script that somebody wrote. This is a real person's life. Somebody actually went through this. And it's, uh, it brings definitely another depth to the emotion of watching the film. But certainly this piece fits in very well with the motif of the film and, um really just helps bring out that just I don't know what to do kind of feeling. It's very, very well done. And of course, uh, again, written by Lisa and Peter. And uh, this next one is the last one written by them for a little while. This one is called Faith.
Yeah, this is definitely not George Michael's faith, but it is one of my favorite pieces on the soundtrack. Uh, you know, along with Sacrifice, the emotional content in this song, you can just feel conflict. You can feel the desire to want to believe everything's going to be okay, but just not knowing and just finding some gear to convince yourself that you believe in what you're doing. You believe in the people that are trying to protect you and you have to decide whether you want to go for it or not. I remember there's a reprise of Sacrifice when he's actually at the courthouse making the decision. And I think, I think this came, this piece comes in when the, uh, the police or the FBI are coming in and they're confiscating his computer and just taking stuff away without any conversation or, you know, uh, really even looking at him, just like taking his stuff and leaving and not saying, here's why we're doing this or answering his pleas for understanding. Um, a really tense moment. I, I can't imagine what that would be like. I mean, here the guy's been threatened. He's going to them for help. And then they just treat him like that. I mean, absolutely horrible. Uh, I, I, I can't fathom doing that to somebody or what that would be like to be the recipient of that. So, you know, hopefully that will never be anything that uh, people will have to experience again, because that would just suck. Um, But that brings us to uh, where we really start getting some conflict from Lowell Bergman and what he's going through trying to bring this uh, taping of the interview with Jeffrey Wigand to light because now he's getting some flack from 60 Minutes and the television station and he's not getting the support that he thinks he should be and would have expected. So uh, this is called I'm Alone in This. And this is the first of a series of songs written by, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, this right Greem Revel, G-R-E-A-M-E is the first name, R-E-V-E-L-L is the second name. So Greem Revel wrote this one and the next couple actually that we're going to hear. So this is a beautiful piece because it really has some element of warm tone to it, but it's also kind of cold and and icy, and you do feel like you're alone. You know, you're you're somewhere stranded. There's no one there to help you, whether you can see people or not. No one's reaching out, and you're isolated, and it's not comfortable because whatever it need it is that you need people's help on, you're not getting. And that can be very uncomfortable in life. And I think this piece really re- represents that emotion very well. And, and again, perfectly placed in the film. Now, most of the time when you're writing music for film, you're writing to the actual picture. When you have this many different composers, they might have been told, hey, we need a piece that's X amount of minutes or X amount of seconds. Here's the emotions that we're trying to convey. Here's the instruments that we want the main instruments to be. And then you can fill in the rest with whatever will either tell you to change it or not. Uh, as, as these were uh, potentially outsourced, I don't know what this person's relation to uh, Peter and Lisa is. 
but he, you know, he wrote or she wrote, I should say, several pieces. So uh, they could have been needed additionally for the for the film. Maybe they added scenes. Maybe they were pieces that that uh, Lisa and Peter just didn't have time to do. There's all kinds of reasons that you might outsource music, even if you're the composer. Uh, a lot of times it'll be ghost written. You know, those people will be paid a fee and not given a credit in the film. Um, and it all just depends on the kind of deal you strike, the time frame you have. Because usually in film, the time frames are very short. So it's like, we need this in a day or we need this in three days or whatever. So you got to get on it. And it's hard to find people that can just say, okay, well, I happen to be doing nothing with my life right now. Let me just take the next three days and get this to you. It's a weird world, film scoring, but the the deadlines can be very, very tough. So that is one reason that they might have outsourced these pieces or they might have just heard these and said, you know what? These are perfect. Why would we try to write anything better? You know, who knows? I don't have any idea. But it's certainly a beautiful piece of music. And that, again, was I'm Alone on this. The next piece we have is called LB in Montana. And I'm assuming that stands for Lowell Bergman. This might be where he caught up with some people while he was researching the Unabomber, trying to get a story on it. And he ran into some people who weren't geologists. I'm pretty sure that's what was tied to that music, what scene was. But anyway, a very, again, just a tense piece of music, that unsettling feeling something is not right here. Whether it means you're in danger or not is not necessarily the case, but just that something is not the way it appears to be and your senses are kind of on alert you know, to be aware. So uh, always good things. And Lowell seemed to be somebody that had really good senses about himself and about, uh, you know, the things that he saw. He was very observant. And uh, that's a, a cool scene because you really get to see the depth of what Lowell was all about. In in general, you get to see it mostly with regards to Jeffrey, but he's also doing other things. He, his whole life isn't wrapped around Jeffrey Wigand at this point. A part of it is for sure, but he's still got other shows to do. He's still got other people to get on in uh, in interviews and things to take care of. So there's a lot going on in his life besides Jeffrey. But Jeffrey is a very key part of what is going on in his life at this point. So it's, uh, you know, nice to see what he's got going on outside of Jeffrey to kind of just get an idea of where he's at and what he's dealing with, because it's certainly not very easy for him at this point either. So um, that brings us to the next song, which is the Paladino Montage.
Yeah, another piece I absolutely love. It's very short, uh, as a lot of pieces in film can be. But this is great. I just love the the cellos on here. I love the overall string sound. It's very intense. I love that extra note that they put in there and some spots that make it a little more interesting. I love the guitar that's going along with it or, uh, you know, whatever it is. It sounds like a stringed instrument, um, but it just has such an intensity and a great feel to it. I really wish this was a much bigger piece because I think there would be a lot to explore in this musically. But when you're writing for film, if you only need a few seconds, you only need a few seconds. Or if you only need a minute, you're not going to write a suite over it or a symphony. You're going to write a minute or a little more than that. Um, but it, but it fades in. So I have to wonder if there wasn't more to it, perhaps, than this. And they just decided to fade it in at that point. Um, I don't know. And I we never will. But that is the last song that we have from our dear friend, Grim, and we are moving on to a piece, uh, the one and only piece by Gustavo Santoalalia. I really hope I'm saying that right. You guys know I suck at names. If this is the first time you're listening to me on the show, I've never been good at name pronunciation. I have tried, but especially with, uh, you know, with foreign names like that, it's not one I've ever seen. I've never seen anything quite like it. So uh, I just hope I've come at least close and not butchered it because, you know, I have respect for these people. They write great music. This is such a beautiful piece of music. I mean, if, if you're a fan of Spanish music or any any of that, uh, you know, Latin acoustic guitar stuff, this is just beautiful. Um, amazing picking and just a great feel to it. It, it goes in, uh, you know, directions that you just wouldn't expect. I mean, it may be common to that style of music, to be honest. It's not something I listen to a whole lot, so I'm not sure. But uh, I love this piece. It's just got such a beautiful flow to it. It's very interesting. A lot of notes to listen to. Uh, a lot of really good picking on it. And I'm pretty sure that I have heard this piece in trailers for other things. It seems to me like it's a fairly popular piece to use to market. Um, and, and why not? It's a great piece of music. So, you know, why wouldn't you? Um this next song, I love the title of this. It's called Liquid Moon. And this was, again, written by Lisa Gerard and Peter Bork. Well, that could fit perfectly on a mental sauna album, couldn't it? Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what was going on in the film. I think in the last piece we heard, 
the guitar one, I think that was when he was coming back from the courthouse and they were worried because he had been told in court that if he crossed the state line, he could be arrested for breaking his confidentiality agreement. He happened to be, they they were trying it in a state where he wouldn't be, but he could be when he crossed the border. So of course, you know, there's a cop car going the other way and, uh, you know, he's nervous that they're coming to get him and that sort of thing, because of course that's going to happen. But uh, I think with this piece, I'm trying to remember, I think this is when he came home and maybe found that his wife had left. I'm not sure. I should have said there were spoiler alerts at the beginning of this because I I don't usually get into the movie this much. But uh, it's so important the way that the music fits the film, because like I said, if you take these pieces and listen to them individually, they really don't go together necessarily, but they work very well with the film. And I'm pretty sure that's what was happening uh, in the film, but I'm not 100% positive. I know it's somewhere around there because we're getting towards the end of the uh, the film and the end of the soundtrack here. Um, just a couple left, actually. The next one is called Rites, R-I-T-E-S. And this one is written by Jan Garbarek, G-A-R-B-A-R-E-K. That one I'm much more confident that I got right. I still could be wrong, though. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. I love the pulse of it. I love that low bass pulse that we're hearing. But the sax, it's beautifully played. I mean, it really works for the piece, but there's nothing tied to a sax in the score. So it's like we're almost at the end of the film and we're introducing a new character. It uh, It's kind of weird for me on this one. I don't know exactly what that's about, but that is what happens sometimes when you outsource music or when you find a piece of music that you like, it doesn't necessarily fit into everything else that you've done. While it may work for the scene, and it certainly does, uh, it doesn't necessarily make for a cohesive soundtrack. Now, do you need a cohesive soundtrack for a film? Not really, because not everything in the film is going to have a theme associated with it. You know, you're going to have maybe a couple of different themes for Lowell or maybe a theme for when they're in his home or when there's danger in his home. Um, They might have a theme for when he needs to make a decision and they won't be the same piece, but maybe a derivative of so that you've got that, you know, subconscious association with the music of what's going on in the film. Um, So you can have pieces like this that don't necessarily relate to the other pieces and they still work because not everything has to be attached to a theme in the film. Sometimes you just need a piece of music. But for me, it's a little weird to introduce the saxophone all of a sudden, because that really is disconnecting it for me. And um, I think they could have used a string, they could have used uh, Lisa's voice or something. But again, this was written by someone else. So we don't know the factors of why it was outsourced. 
or how all that came about. So it may be something that was just done out of necessity. It may be that uh, Peter and Lisa or whoever was making the decision, the director thought that this would just be the perfect piece. And they said, I don't care, I'm keeping it. And maybe Peter and Lisa didn't feel that there was the need to battle for that. And there's so many components that go into film scoring. And uh, it's something that if you're interested in, um, I did write a book about it called Becoming an Indie Film Composer. It does talk about some of these types of things, you know, these relationships that you have, the intensity of the deadline, decisions, and sometimes how they are made. So uh, that might be of interest to you guys. But in the meantime, let's get back to the soundtrack because we're down to the last couple of songs. Now, this one that we're about to listen to was written by Massive Attack, which sounds really just bad, doesn't it? You don't want a Massive Attack. Uh, it is called Safe From Harm and listed as the Perfecto Mix. And I'm glad it isn't like the subpar mix or the half-done mix. This is Perfecto. So as I recall, this is the end of the film where Al Pacino playing Lowell Bergman walks out of CBS Studios and uh, he goes through the, uh, what do they call those, like a turnstile uh, type doorway, you know, with uh, like the four doors made of glass that, uh, that, that's been, um, is that turnstile? I want to say it's turnstile. Um, but uh, it's a very powerful piece because it, it's really, it really plays on what just happened and showing the back of his head. It's kind of um, just a real, almost ethereal moment and something that uh, is, is a really impactful scene for me. And I'm not exactly sure how I could sum up why I think that if you watch the movie, you may have your own impact moment with it. But it's a it's a beautifully done scene and really brings us to the end of the film. And I love the groove of this song. I think the bass is great. I love the piano because it doesn't just play all the way through. It's like used in a in a, a way to just uh, be powerful and not melodic as much. Um, but a very cool piece nonetheless. And that brings us to the very final piece on the soundtrack, which we are now back to Peter and Lisa for this last one. And it is called Meltdown. sure why this is out of order on the album, because this actually happens quite a bit earlier. This is when 
He has left his home for the moment, and he is in a hotel, the hotel where he met Lowell. He's staying there, and there is a just really disconnected moment for him. And Lowell goes to the hotel. He, they can't get him to open, or Lowell calls the hotel. They can't get him to open the door. He's called the manager. He knows that Jeff is in a really bad spot. And this is the music that they're playing. And it's a very surreal moment. You know, you kind of feel like Jeff is just numb at this point. And you you get the sense that he's going to try and kill himself. And I think that's what Lowell was worried about and why he called the manager. And uh, the manager just ended up bringing him the phone and uh, couldn't get him to come out of the room. But he took the phone and then slammed the door on the manager. But I, So I'm, I'm really perplexed as to why this is out of order on the soundtrack. Um, it was included, so it could have just been placed you know, where it, it went in the film. So that's kind of odd to me. I do think it makes for a kind of haunting end to the, to the album itself. But uh, if you're familiar with the film and the score, it, it feels out of place for it to be the last song after we know what the last song in the movie was and we just heard it on the soundtrack. So that's kind of weird to me. But apart from that, uh, just such a wonderful film, a wonderful soundtrack. It's always intense when it's a true story. And certainly the uh, the stories of, of really not just Jeffrey Wigand, but Lowell Bergman, um, it, everybody that's that's in it. Uh, Christopher Plummer, who plays Mike Wallace, uh, you know, there's there's a lot going on behind the scenes as well as what's going on with Jeffrey. So it's a multi-level story. And um, being that it really happened, I think that's the the hard thing for me. And I I. I'm just amazed what people survive, you know, what they go through and, and how they hit rock bottom, but they still manage to to hang in there. It's it's very impressive. And he did it because he felt he was doing the right thing. He felt people had a right to know, had a need to know what was going on uh, in the tobacco industry. And amazing as it is, we still have cigarettes and cigars and things like that. I, 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 I get that. Well, we'll just put a warning on it and then it's up to people. But why they exist is beyond me. And I can only think of the fact that there is so much money in the tobacco industry that uh, it would it would just be you do anything to protect it. So it's an interesting story, nonetheless. And I certainly applaud Jeffrey for, you know, uh, having the guts to do what he did, because it, it really took an awful lot and it cost him a lot. and. um I, I really hope that he feels it was worth it. But when you watch the movie, um, it's it's very well done and it's it's very intense. So check out the movie, check out the full soundtrack, buy it if you like, buy the movie if you like, because I think it's it's one that, you know, when you listen to it with the music, it really has a, a whole nother value besides the story and the, and the good acting. So thank you guys for joining me for another week on the show. We will be back next week with more stuff. Love it. Love it. Thanks, guys. It means a lot to me that you listen. I appreciate it. You take care, and we'll see you next week. Cheers!